This is your station, your music, the world famous WXIN. Providence, Rhode Island, USA. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jake Elmsley. The show talk about the latest and greatest happenings in the world of sports here on 90.7 WXIN. I am alone right now, but as we are each week, we're going... It'll be, soon it'll be time to do your Job with Job Gudrid of Real Sports 101.com. After we talk with him, David Cusack, as usual, will be closing out the show with us. We're going to be talking some hoops and some other things that going around in the world of hoops. But if any of these things interest you, you want to talk Red Sox, Patriots, Celtics, Bruins, don't forget to call in at 401-456-9946 or at 401-456-8787. Anyway... You are listening to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jake Helmsley, on 90.7 WXIN. And with that, we are going to dive right in. So, the MLB regular season is coming to a close. And last night, as we've started to see more and more now, Chris Sale had another rough, rough outing last night. Chris Sale last night against the Blue Jays at Fenway gave up four home runs, five runs in total, all of them earned, and pitched five innings with eight strikeouts, if you care a lot about the record, about his pursuit of that strikeout record. But this is a not-so-great outing from Chris Sale, who has had more and more of those as the year goes on. Not to say he hasn't had beautiful outings. His one before last, excuse me, his last outing before this one was a gem. Eight innings, no hits, no runs. Not no hits, but no runs against the Orioles. A beauty of an outing. But we weren't seeing these kind of outings from him at the beginning of the year. For the first four months or so of the season, he was the obvious Cy Young Award favorite. And, you know, at this point, with this potentially, with last night potentially being his last start, and I'll get into if it is or if it isn't for real in a minute or two, but... Yeah, the Cy Young is gone. For Chris Sale, at this point, the Cy Young Award really is out of his grasp. It's Kluber's award. Kluber in Cleveland, he's been the guy who's come on strong the last stretch. And he's been the guy who's been, you know, pitching to the level that every week that Chris Sale, or every start, that Chris Sale was pitching to every start for the first half of the year. But since then, not to say that Chris Sale has fallen off entirely but he's suddenly like he's now he's mixing in bad outings with still the gems he's still been having these gems of outings but you know he's come down to earth compared to you know the beginning of the season when he was the most exciting guy things have changed you know his first his out you know you have the Orioles outing I told you about and then but then the one before that his start before that he went Five and two-thirds, had six hits, four earned runs against the Rays. And then he had that, he's had some bad starts against the Indians. 
He's had some bad starts against the Yankees. So he hasn't been perfect. And for the first four months, it really was like he was a shutdown. You're going to get two or less run. You're going to score two or less runs every week on this guy. And it was amazing. It was blowing us all away. But now he's he hasn't come down to earth. He's still obviously this team's ace. But he hasn't been the consistent force that he was at the beginning of the season. And obviously that's something of a concern. And now it starts to beg the question of, is this guy, does this guy have the durability for a long playoff run? Which was really the only question, which is really one of the few besides, oh, is this guy out of his mind chopping up uniforms? But that was really the only really, one of the few very fair, legit criticisms you could levy against Chris Sale after this team traded for him. It was obviously just the idea of, well, this guy's never made it to the playoffs. What's he going to look like after a full regular season, a competitive regular season, as in a, during a pennant race? What's this guy going to look like when he now has to pitch into the postseason, into October? Is this guy going to be able to hold up playing the extra games now? And, yeah, I, I don't know. And then, but also the other criticism was traditionally he was a slow starter. His stats in the first month or two of the season tended to be down from his stats following that. But this year, that didn't happen. And I was preparing. I was trying to prepare Red Sox fans. I was telling them, like, listen, this guy, he's traditionally not so great at the beginning of the season. So if he's not great for the first month, you know, let's not all pile on him because that's who he is. That's what he does. So then we'll judge him after that. But he was red hot from the start of the season, which was surprising. It was a welcome surprise, but it was still surprising. But... Now we're seeing him taper off quite a bit from where he was, where he was the out-and-odd Cy Young favorite in the AL. Potentially, you know, if you think that pitchers can factor into these kind of conversations, he was an MVP candidate. But now we're seeing him slow down. And now you wonder, what does the team do with him with the postseason obviously very close with the Red Sox being three games ahead in the pennant race for the division, five games left on their roster, five games left on roster, five games left on their schedule, one more against the Blue Jays tonight at seven, and then a four-game series at Fenway against, you know, the second-best team in the league, the second-best team in the AL in the Houston Astros. And, I mean, they have Porcello going tonight. But then, what does the team do with Chris Sale if they get to, you know... Because if they just were to follow the rotation, not considering playoffs, Chris Sale would start the last game of the year. After you'd cycle back to the rotation to Chris Sale, five, in five games, it would be a Chris Sale game. And if you get to that game now and you've clinched the playoffs, you've clinched, you've clinched the division, you're not... You're obviously this... It's mathematically impossible for them to clint for them to catch the Astros or catch the Indians. So they're not gonna be beat the first so they're not gonna have the first or second seed in the playoffs. But if they get there and they've clinched the AL East and it's Chris Sales Day, 
it begs the question of if you put them out there. And to me, if you had asked me two days ago, what would you do? Well, obviously you don't start this guy. He's your ace. He's your best pick. No, obviously there's a durability concern there from a fatigue standpoint. No, obviously don't play him in a meaningless game against the Astros. Obviously. But after watching him get shelled, Maybe there's that, you know, there's that little thing in the back of your head that starts to grow and, at, and beg the question of, do you want to throw him out there? Hope he can throw a, you know, a vintage, you know, a vintage Chris Sale outing and get his confidence back, which I don't agree with, which I won't say I agree with, because I think that Chris Sale as a player has enough of that just nutcase gene in him that he's just going to brush off this bad performance. Like, he's brushed off plenty of other bad performances and came back and played gangbusters and been phenomenal and been the Chris Sale that we all want to see every night and we've seen most nights. So, I don't think that the mental, it's going to be a mental issue with him. I think if any, I think there's almost a part of me that thinks if you just let him sit there and let these thoughts fester in his brain for long enough, he'll just get pissed and more pissed and when you throw him out, for the first week, for whatever whatever permutation of the first playoff game you play him in, he'll be great. Yeah, he'll just be out of his mind, and he'll just pitch with just in fury. Just he'll pitch like he's trying to score in the earth, is what I'm trying to say. So I don't think that that's going to be a concern with him, but the question is still there. Now, say you get to this game though, and I'm not saying that this is. Likely, but what if you get to this game and now you're still you haven't wrapped up the division, which is not completely out of the question. The Yankees have five games left. Also, they have two more games at home against the Rays, and they have a three-game series still at Yankee Stadium against the Blue Jays. And the Yankees are only three games back of the Red Sox still. And the Yankees have started to heat up again. Judge is suddenly hitting home runs again. Their pitching has been decent. Every, the Yankees have heated back up again. And they're going against far worse competition for the last five games than the Red Sox are going against. The Red Sox still have one game against the Blue Jays, who hopefully they can beat, even though they've given them trouble in this series. A lot of trouble, in fact. But then they play the Astros, obviously, who the Blue Jays are nothing compared to. So, you know, the the Yankees, who are chasing the division still, who still have incentive to play their guys, they have an easier they have the easier schedule here. They get to go against the worst team. A team that the Red Sox shouldn't be losing to, but they have. So they get to go against the Blue Jays. And, you know, I'm not saying, but you know, if they go, if they win four of their next games, like if they were to win four of their next games and the Red Sox were to Win two? I mean, how would the math work out on that? Yeah, if to say the yeah, say in the next five games, the Yankees go four and one, which isn't unreasonable, and the Red Sox go two and three. The Red Sox are still up by one game, actually, now that I'm looking at it, but say the Red Okay, say the Red Sox drop every game to the Astros, which I'm not saying will happen, but say that the Red Sox that Farrell, not really noticing the math on the Yankees, just rests all his guys. Gives it up to the 
Astros who can st- who are still chasing the Indians, who the Astros are one game out from the Indians, so they still have something to play for here. They can still become that top seed in the AL, so the Astros have something to play for. The Yankees who are below you have something to play for, so it'll, it's kind of a weird situation for John Farrell to be in because he doesn't necessarily have anything to play for, but the guys, people, teams around him do. And I don't know if I really trust John Farrell to manage that well, because once again, if he just phones it in and goes, ah, screw it, we'll just lose, we'll just give up on the next four games, then they lose four of their next five games, then suddenly you're in the position where now you have to play a play-in game against the Yankees to decide who wins the division, which comes with its own set of complications, which comes with all sorts of issues, that scenario. And then, or you get to this last game against the Astros, John Farrell suddenly just comes out and goes, oh crap, we need to win this one. Now we need to put Chris Sale out there again. Not just for his mentality, but now we need to put Chris Sale out so that way we can win this game and not have to do the play-in game, which would be a disaster because, but it would be a disaster because you'd have to waste Chris Sale in that play-in game to avoid being the wild card team. Or at least you'd have to consider wasting a good pitcher in that play-in game. So then it becomes a matter of, do you use the good pit? Well, I'm getting kind of off the rails here, but if they were to get to that last game of the regular season, suddenly it's the difference between the play-in game against the Yankees or just clinching it or clinching the division. And then, you know, do you, suddenly John Farrell might get faced with the decision of, do I want to, you know, use my bet do I want to say it comes down to Chris Sale do I want to use Chris Sale against the Astros and beat them or do I feel better about using him against the Yankees to clinch the division so then you put him in a position where just John Farrell has to make all kinds of decisions it's just we get to a position now where John Farrell has to make all these tough decisions to impact where they are as a team where they're seated in the playoffs and I don't know I don't I don't trust him I don't trust that so, I don't know. It's a tough situation right now that they could potentially wind up putting themselves in. Which, you know, I don't mean to panic. I don't mean to say, because the team is 7 of 3 in their last 10 games. But for a team that's won 7 of their last 10, they felt kind of dead. And maybe it has to do with the injuries, and it does have to do with the injuries, with a lot of guys going down lately. But, I, I don't know. I could just kind of see this team kind of teetering to the close kind of teetering to the finish line for the season, which would be, which is never good, ever. You never want a team to teeter, to kind of just fall into the postseason. You want a t- you always want a team to go strong into the postseason, and I don't, I could just see them kind of whimpering in, which would not be great, which would really not be great, especially if they whimper in, and now they need to play a one-game play-in as either to clinch the division or, God forbid, they wind up as a wild card, which won't happen unless you know they drop every one of their next five games and the Yankees win their next five games which eh, I don't think it's gonna happen but it's tricky they're in a they're in a deceptively kind of tricky situation right now where the team behind them is surging right now the Yankee the Yankees are surging right now so I mean, the Yankees have also won seven of their last three games. Also, they've been right with you in that. And yeah, do you, once again, do you get to that point where you're in the Astros game and do you want to use Chris Sale in that game because you need to win it to clinch the division? Or do you want to go into the playing game with the Yankees to clinch the division? Which, A, is an extra game. And B, then again, there's also the situation of the Yankees have kind of had Chris Sale's number. 
The Yankees have had some legit, have had some very good offensive games facing off against Chris Sale, which is not good. So maybe you don't want to use him there. So then you get to the option of, well, do we just, do we go with Pomerantz against the Yankees? Or do, if we can't win this Astros game, because they're hot and say they're one game behind Cleveland and this is their chance to win the AL, or at least, you know, be the top seed in the AL playoffs. There are issues here. This team has issues. And with all the guys going down right now, Dustin Pedroia is out. Farrell says he'll be back for the entire playoffs, which I guess I'll believe that when I see it. Mookie Betts, his hand injury, they found out that it's just, it's it's stress-related inflammation, whatever that means, but supposedly he's he's fine, but who knows? I mean, excuse me, it's workload-related, so he could just need some rest, so he could miss a couple of games, and then Aguardo Nunez is out indefinitely. Apparently, they don't have a timetable with the knee injury. They're not ruling him out, but he's out indefinitely, supposedly, so you're missing, you know, some core guys from your lineup right now, which obviously is when you miss core guys from your lineup, you, you typically don't do as well. So that could be a factor, and yeah, the last five games of this season just could wind up being, you know, more crucial and more impactful than a lot of us would like to believe or a lot of us thought they would be with the way that most of the season has gone, which, once again, not great. Not great at all. But we'll see. We'll just we'll have to see what happens with that. But anyway, we're going to take a quick break here. Then we'll then it'll be time for us to that'll be time to do your job with Job Gudrid of Real Sports 101.com. Anyway, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. And we'll be right back after these messages. It's not the size that matters, it's the pleasure it provides. WXIN FM. <laughs> Welcome back to the Stadium Experience with your host, Jake Elmsley, right here on 90.7 WXIN. We've been talking a lot of Red Sox, but what about the halfway point of the 4 o'clock hour? So as we do every week, it's about time to do your Job with Job Gudrid of RealSport101.com. How you doing, Job? I'm good. How you doing, Jake? Nice, nice. Like I, changed, I changed the segment name up a little bit. So, uh, I, like, I like the segment name. Yeah, I changed it. It's been... It's been, it's been it's been get the job done, which is okay, but Dave Cusack brought it up to me. Do your job just fits better. We discuss a lot of Patriots here, so that's so that's what we're gonna be going with from now on. This is now time to do your job. Sounds good to me. Alright, that's great, Job. So obviously this week on Sunday, the Patriots beat the Houston Texans in Gillette 36 to 33 in what was honestly a very very frustrating game to watch upon first viewing. It was exciting to see Brady lead a comeback. It's always fun to see. It's always fun to see him lead a comeback, throw that last second touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks. But you know what? When they're playing the Texans, they shouldn't have to make a comeback. It's just all I'm saying. When you're playing, you shouldn't have to. You, when you're you playing this team that, you know, last week could barely score a touchdown against the Bengals. And mind you, you know, Deshaun Watson has had a full week of practice with the first team so now instead of having you know 
two first-team practices in the NFL. He's now had on a six. So great. So he's a guy who's had a week of practice in the NFL. So obviously that should go to the point where he can beat, you know, this team that's supposedly the Super Bowl favorites should be able to make or should be able to you know, make himself look like Aaron Rodgers. But yeah, just a oh my god, it was a frustrating game to watch. And the offense looked good. The offense looked great. Looked as good as it could. But God, was the defense just? It was just frustrating, honestly. Just frustrating to watch. I don't know if you have any take. I mean, what are your takeaways from this, Job? Uh, so my first takeaway is that our defensive line is absolutely terrible. Um, our defensive line, we've and, talked about it already. Yeah, and I hate we to harp on it again. I really we hate can't to get to the quarterback. And I hate that we have to sit here and talk about this every week because it feels like the low-hanging fruit. But I don't know. It's like John Farrell making bad decisions, apparently. You just have to talk about it. Cause it just... I, I feel like we every time we talk about it, we say the exact same thing, and we discuss about what we want to see in the next game, and they do the exact opposite. I, it's just, it was so mad, and they were getting pressure on him. Oddly, like they were getting into the backfield, which you know is great. Now the Texans for the first two weeks without Dwayne Brown, with him still being a holdout, they've looked like they've had the worst O line in the league. The Texans' line is terrible most of the year, so them getting into the backfield is still good to see. You're, you're against who you're playing, but they they were just they were just whiffing on these sacks half the time. I mean, there was a play where they they had uh, Watson by his ankles in the, in the second Four. quarter, and he still managed to get the ball away. Yeah, or he would just take off. off. It seemed like every time they got to him in the backfield, he'd just take off for eight nine yards, or at least like eight out of ten times. You just take off and get the first down instead of getting sacked. You're like, oh, great. So I can put pressure on him, but they can't actually stop him. Or he'd complete the pass and look like Aaron Rodgers. This was the opposite of what I expected from this game coming into the season. Well, at you know, least what we wanted. Season, we discussed this. Uh, we, just said we thought it was going to be a, uh, you know, a low-scoring game on the, on the Houston side because we thought their offense was going to be pretty weak. Yeah, God, what were our picks? I know I predict, predicted 24-17. to 17. Or twenty four to thirteen, uh, excuse me. Well, you you were lower than me. I had a I had a forty two thirty five pick. Um, no, you did no for this game last week. Oh no, not this. No, but it was the Saints game. I'm sorry. Uh, I had a I think I had a uh, fourteen to seven. Maybe. Yeah, you had something. Even we both had low scores, and then this became a freaking offensive showcase. Which, yeah, not what I you wanted. Because last week we also talked about it. Last week we talked about this and we brought this up that we both kind of felt like this was potentially, you know, a get right game for the defense. That like the Patriots offense going against a bad defense in the Saints, that was, you know, that was a get right game for them. That was a chance to get into a rhythm. And then we saw this game against what was supposed to be a bad offense. This was their chance to just you know, get back in rhythm and they weren't able to do it. Really? Yeah, so I, I hate to stay on the negative side, but the defense was really dreadful. I mean, even the pick by Stefan Gilmore, that's a gift. Uh, that was by no means. That's what you should be getting from a rookie quarterback. An amazing, or exactly. That was by no means an amazing play by Stefan Gilmore. He was gifted that ball. Uh, a good heads up play to get six or seven extra yards by running it back. Yeah, it was a good um, play, but, but you're right. It doesn't. But uh, that's not something that you don't expect. You know, you're playing against a rookie quarterback. I expected more. You're a $48 million cornerback. Like, I kind of expect you to be able to take advantage of that. No, exactly. And th- that was really the, the highlight of the game on the defensive side. I mean, they kind of had their way with it. Like, I mean, Cassius Marsh had a sack at one point. Like, there were a couple of – I mean, there was so, – I mean, they were putting pressure on the guy. But that was almost what made it more frustrating. It's just whenever they would get pressure, 
he would just suddenly get away. And, I mean, Trey Flowers had a good game. Trey Flowers, I don't want to make it all negative because some guys had good games. Trey Flowers had a good game. I felt like Dietrich Wise actually had a pretty decent game pressure-wise. But... Oh, no, we had a, we, I think we had a good overall effort um, from the defensive end. I just think we the, can't execute to the level that we need to execute. No. We're going to go far into the season. Oh, like probably the, the most... Talent, probably, the talent just looks dreadful. The easy, easily the most frustrated I was in that game. There was a play, and I believe it was the third quarter. And I've, I have not been this angry watching the Patriots in forever. There was a play where I think four different guys got got into the backfield and then whiffed on sacking Deshaun Watson, and then he ran for a first down for like 11 yards. You know, that, that bothered me too. I remember exactly about that play. I was sitting. I remember that play is because we had, uh, you know, Several plays later, we had several guys in the backfield with Deshaun watching on his back foot, and he turned around and threw it 22 yards downfield. I was, I was just, I just, get, I mean, I was just trying not to be mad at that point. I kind of just accepted it. But that first one where they couldn't sack him and he, and he was able to scramble. I want, I was sitting at the beer garden in Providence, and I wanted to throw the stool across the freaking bar. I was so pissed. I, I was just, because just with how much I, we've been harping on it, and it was just. Oh my God! They just couldn't get the guy. It was the second start of his career too, and they. Oh yeah. my! I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, make it seem like we just blew all the coverages either. There were some good coverages. No, there was good coverage. Devin but McCourty you... had a good coverage. A good coverage on the touchdown to make it 27, uh, 28 for uh, New England. Yeah. In the third quarter with uh, it was covering number eighty four. The tight. I think it's the tight end. Yeah, Ryan correct? Griffin. Ryan Griffin in the back of the end zone. That was good coverage. And you know Watson still made a good pass, so I don't want to I don't want to harp on on the you know the defense too much and make it seem like he had an easy day of it because he still made some good plays. But we should not be getting beat by a, no. a second game quarterback in the NFL. I mean the talent is just not there. No, the, the spread on side, this, especially the front seven, is really scary. The spread on this game was 14 points, which I thought was ridiculous. For one thing, and I would never bet on that. But the spread on this game was 14 points, and the Patriots won by three. And they had to stage, you know, Brady had to stage a late second come, bleh, a last second comeback to to beat these guys. Which the fact that we had to get to that point is, is bad. Uh, isn't good. Really not good. Isn't not good. good at all. No, and I think the second in your in your point about McCourty and all that, I think the secondary played well. The secondary had a good game. But I think our our, off, our but they just our offense played very well, but our defense was just weak. Well, the secondary, I mean, the secondary even I think was okay. playing the secondary was playing well, and the secondary should play well because they had the most talent. But they just the D line was giving Watson too much time. He just had too much time, and you know, cliched football stuff. But if you give guys enough time, anybody will get open on anybody. If you uh, get, I have, if every no, player no, gives what. My only problem with, with giving the secondary so much credit is they did have a, a few blown coverages. Oh, they definitely did. But uh, it's just if you're giving a guy if you're giving a guy five, six, seven seconds every consistently, he's just guys are just going to get open at that level. At this level of play, you shouldn't expect to have the ball for three or four seconds, let alone six or seven seconds. Exactly. Like had it in the third quarter for several plays on that drive. Um, the real issue that I had with this game uh, wasn't even our defense. The real issue that I had with this game was, was the defensive play call. I thought, you know, every time that every time that he was going to uh, throw a ball, it looked like we were rushing two guys. 
Ah, you know, but that's see, that's that's the defense at defensive ends were getting bullied. But you see, that's kind of that's typical of this team, though. That's what's frustrating is that this team typically doesn't rush a lot of guys. This team usually only brings three or four man fronts at most, but usually they've had more talent on those fronts. So it's not like they've been doing anything differently. They've been doing what they usually do for the most part, but they just they don't have the talent right now to do that. It seems. It seems like they're going to have to do something to change it up because we can't be getting beaten like this on every single play, uh, every single game. No, what's going to happen when you go against a real quarterback? Week in and week out, we we harp on the defense, especially the front seven. Some of it's deserved. Some of it is probably just us looking for negatives in a game that we won. But the fact that Tom Brady had to make a a two-minute drill play against the Houston Texans is dreadful. frankly kind of embarrassing. Um, You know, I, I found that there was some very po- very positive stuff going on in the offense. Yeah, we can get into all that in a few. I want I want to save a segment for that. We can get into that in a second, but yeah. I don't know what was the worst play. What was the worst play in your mind from the defensive side? Oh, the, that that one where four guys whiffed on sacking him and he rushed for eleven yards. I'm gonna remember that for years. Just at how mad I was at that play. And maybe there were other ones that were worse that I'm not thinking of, but that was the one that got... And maybe it was just after seeing so many p- bad plays on defense that that was the one that just got me viscerally angry. But that, like, that's the one that sta- that's the one that I remember. That, I, that I'll remember. The one that I remember, the one that I remember comes way earlier in the game. It's actually the first Houston touchdown uh, on a play-action pass. Watson sat in the pocket for four seconds and gave it gave it downfield. It was actually good coverage in the secondary from McCourty, um, but he had all day to throw the ball, and I I was a little bit worried at that point. You know, it made the game nine to seven, and we had four guys rushing the quarterback, and no one could get within within touching distance. No, and even when they were able to get in, he would scramble away. Now, mind you, once again, some guys look good. Dietrich Wise through the first three games has looked pretty good. I'll say that much. Dietrich Wise, he didn't have any sacks this, this week, but he's looked good. Dietrich Wise has been able to consistently get pressure, and he also was guilty of whiffing on the guy a couple of times, but I'll accept that from a rookie you know, because I think he'll shore that up. I, I think, think Ka- progression has actually been something positive for this defense. Yeah, he looks and, better every week. And I'll say that Cassius Marsh looked better this week. than he. I mean, obviously he's improved from week one, so that was, you know, Something. I'm still not super optimistic about him just because of the reality of where he's from and all that, but he's looked decent. Like, Malcolm Brown was able to penetrate a good amount of times. Now, that was also against, once again, one of the worst O-lines in the league or what we thought was, but still, Malcolm Brown was able to kind of get inside. And you, you, I was noticing Malcolm Brown a lot in this game, which, you know, in the past has been a criticism against him that he just kind of can disappear for long stretches of time. And that's not to say he's turning into Aaron Donald all of a sudden and he's just always going to be a pass-rushing force from the inside. But, you know, he played decently. Yeah, Dietrich Wise had a, had a good play on the, on the pick by Stephon Gilmore, specifically where he, he got in the face of Watson. He didn't get to sack him, obviously, because he got rid of the football. But he made him make a bad throw. Exactly. Yeah, there were a lot of plays you know, like that. Those, those were encouraging from, from a defensive standpoint because it shows that at least we have somebody who's willing to step up and who can make a difference on that line, even as a rookie. Yeah. Um, With somebody to go alongside Trey Flowers. If we had one more veteran presence on that line, I wouldn't be very worried. 
I think that maybe with one more guy in that front seven to really lead that front seven, maybe we'd be a little bit better off. Um, maybe we'd be able to make a difference on defense. But I'm a little bit worried about our defense as a whole. I don't know if we can really take mm. this into the playoffs and stop a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers yep. or it- Ben Roethlisberger with the weapons that he has. It feels like Give they need these guys time. They will beat us. It feels like they need to make another addition. It, re- it feels like they need something else. To- and Hightower coming back soon will be a big addition. But I, I mean, Job, do you feel like they need to go outside and try to get somebody? Do you think that they- there's some kind of trade that they need to make to get somebody a little more legit in there, or anybody in free agency? Are there any specific names that jump out to you? There aren't any names that jump out, but what there is something that I really think about, and I think about the deal that uh, Belichick made. Two years ago, when he moved a player that no one thought we would move in the middle of the season and got draft picks out of him because he had so much talent on the defensive side, we have a lot of talent on the offensive side at this point in the year. I wouldn't be surprised to see a straight-up trade uh, with a team like maybe like Jacksonville, you know, who need another offensive weapon mm-hmm. to go with Alan Hearns now that they've lost their other receivers. Okay. And uh, if we traded, say, a uh, Danny, Danny Amendola, Okay. For uh, you know some defensive piece, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked uh, for a team who's trying to win a few more games. But even the L.A. Rams, who are stacked on defense, I don't know if you've seen any of their games. Yeah, I saw the, the I mean, Rams are looking they're looking really good on. Yeah, defense. Wade Phillips is doing good now. I mean, mind you, they gave up 39 points to the 49ers, but no, they've typically had a strong D line. They have Dominic they Easley. Like they, they have, have Dominic Easley right now, if you remember him. I don't I don't want Dominic Easley, but <laughs> they do have a good they do have a good defense. Without the 49ers game being taken into account, their defense has been one of the top defenses in the league for the first two weeks. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, the emergence of Jared Goff has really led to their, you know, people think they have a chance at, you know, winning their division. The Seahawks don't look very good, and I wouldn't no. be surprised if Belichick went over to them and said, hey, what do you think about, you know, a piece like Danny Amendola? Okay. Some of these pieces on defense, because I feel like we're weak on defense. Mm-hmm. And there are teams out there who need one more receiver, especially with the injuries going on around the league. And the emergence of Brandon Cooks this week is maybe feeling good enough about our offense that maybe we can do that. Yeah, and that's that the next thing. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, maybe, I don't know, flip Amendola and a draft pick for, say, go to Jacksonville and say, hey, like, you know, Dante Fowler hasn't worked out for you guys. Maybe flip no, him. exactly. And you know that you know how Belichick does it. You know, we Ex- both discussed this before. He takes pieces that don't work in other environments and turns them into weapons. He could it they could use just another little boost of talent. Or they need oh, a guy like Alan Branch to start playing back up to his level. That would be another thing that would be big for this team. Because they have pieces. Really, as much as we're harping on it, in this game, they showed that they can almost do it. So they just need some other things to work out their way. But it, then it scares me that they're going against, you know, a young quarterback. You know, you start with, if Deshaun Watson was able to run around like crazy, you know, what's Cam Newton going to look like next week? You know, what's Cam Newton? I'm actually not a little bit worried about Cam Newton. I'm not worried about the Carolina game at all, actually. I'm not worried about that Brandon game. Hooks has made me extremely excited. Yeah, and I'm not I worried about like that. I'm not saying I'm worried on. about that game. I don't think the Patriots are any threat to lose, but I don't know if Cam Newton finished that game with 60, 70 rushing yards. Would you be surprised? With the way Deshaun Watson was looking against him, and then you know, no, I agree. Then you get into the playoffs, and you're going against real legit quarterbacks. Like if you're going against Ben Roethlisberger, he's a guy that can move. Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, God forbid. You know, you play that way against Aaron Rodgers, he's going to kill you. 
He's going to no, absolutely. You give Aaron Rodgers four seconds with the football. He's going to rip he's you apart. An open guy. He's going to rip you apart. So and that's a scary thought because we know this team is good enough to get to the playoffs, or at least I I think this team is good enough to get to the playoffs. Obviously, could get to the playoffs, but division, you know, I don't know. Do you feel like if hopefully they, make a deep run? Well, that's a, well, that's the next question though. If the if the if the defensive play stays the way it has and they don't improve and they stay at this level, do you think do you still think that the Patriots will win the Super Bowl? Are they still the Super Bowl no. favorite? No, I would I wouldn't I wouldn't even put them in the Super Bowl if we don't improve on defense. I think that Ben Roethlisberger is about to call it his call it a career after this season, and I think that his weapons and his ability to move the ball with Le'Veon Bell with Antonio Brown. It's too scary to contemplate against our defense. And I don't know if Brady can throw the ball 44 yards in the air every game all season. Right, you kind of, 40. right. You kind of saw him have, you know, a statistical kind of taper off in the Houston and even the Super Bowl for the first three quarters. Exactly. And, you know, he's an amazing, he's an amazing quarterback, and he doesn't look like he's slowing down at 40. But it's week three. And, yeah, you know, and you know you season, you and also and you start an eighteen week season. And also you start to you got to ask the question of you know they're throwing the ball deeper a lot more. You could be able to do that in the winter. You know, no, exactly. If I it's a snowy, you know, if it's a bad conditions, if it's a snowy game against you know say and suddenly you're in Pittsburgh for the AFC Championship game, or even you're in Gillette, you're not going to be able to bomb the ball to Brandon Cooks as much. No, I agree. And even if even if you could do that. Does Brady's arm have 18 weeks of that in him to get into the AFC championship? Right, but just the conditions. You know, you just get... You the just conditions change the way you play the You game. just can't play that way. So, but you see, my counterpoint to that is, though, that, yes, the Patriots have not looked like the dominant team we thought we were going to see after this offseason up to this point. But then again, after this week, really every team you would also consider kind of a contender... All of those teams have put up at least one stinker of a game. I realize this week, win or lose. What, what teams? What teams do you put in that category? I mean, we'll start with the AFC. You know, I'll just go every team. You know, just guys like teams I consider good, teams I consider great. First off, AFC, the Steelers. They lost to the Bears this week, which, mind you, they always do every year. The Steelers lose at least one stupid game. They just every every year they lose to the Dolphins or they lose to the Jets or the every year the Steelers play down to their competition and lose some stupid game. So this isn't like some abnormality, but still they lost to the Bears and you know week one they weren't they weren't killing the Browns who are terrible. They played, I'm, I'm curious about this about this. And then we'll okay well hey let me finish this thought though Job, and then the Raiders were my other AFC favorite. They. They got creamed by the Redskins on Sunday Night Football. Then a team that I didn't think was going to be fantastic coming into the season, but has been. The Broncos looked like one of the best teams in the league. They looked like a top five team in the league for the first two weeks. And, you know, they got pretty badly beaten by the Bills on Sunday. And then you go over to the NFC. Teams you thought would contend in the NFC. You The Seahawks. They look like they might not even make the playoffs with the way that their own line is playing. The Vikings have had a bad game. The Packers had a bad game against the Bengals yesterday. They were able to pull it out, but still, they still that was a very tough game for them against the Bengals, of all people. Then, you know, the Giants and the Cowboys. The Giants look terrible. The Giants aren't even going to make the playoffs. And the Cowboys put up a bad game against the Broncos. So it's just, 
if I'm be- if I'm being fair that I've lashed out against the Patriots for playing a very bad opening week against the Chiefs, outside of maybe one or two teams that I'll get into in a minute, really all the le- the, the supposedly legit teams in the league, the real contending teams have all had a bad game or two to this point. Well, that depends on what you consider to be contending teams, right? The names that you shot out, especially to the AFC, are those are the names that I would give you. Derek Carr looked terrible uh, this week. Mm-hmm. He didn't look like, you know, the second-highest-paid quarterback in the league. Um, I thought that the Steelers probably had a lot of noise going on in their locker room after not coming out for the national anthem. Uh, they probably had a lot going on in their heads. I don't, I don't really think that their game was – too too bad considering all the noise. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know how much I can really put. I mean, it, but if, like if something like that is going to make them play like that, you know, what's the next thing that will distract them though? No, I agree. Like if you're at you that, know, like I, if something that they're not a contender when it comes to when it comes to the Patriots, if we can get our defense on track, right? Okay, fair. Scary. Fair, but sure. I mean, their offense is scary. But and that, the NFC, I think that the teams that we thought were going to contend at the beginning of the season, most of them have fallen off. Like you mentioned, I don't think the Seahawks are going to make the playoffs. I mentioned it earlier. I think the L.A. Rams are going to win that division. I mean, if the Seahawks' O-line keeps playing the way that it has. And I'm, and I'm hesitant to board the Rams band, bandwagon quite yet or the Jared Goff hype train. just because. And Goff has looked great. His decision-making has looked better. His accuracy has looked better. He's looked more confident. But, you know, the two games that they've won have still came against, you know, two of the worst defenses in the league. So I'm not... I like what they have going there. I think that Sean McVay has actually showed himself to be a real coach. But I just, you know, I'm not willing to board that train yet. But still, the Seahawks have looked bad. Like the Seahawks and the Rams certainly aren't a contender by any means. But yeah, the Seahawks have looked bad because they can't. Their old line doesn't work. Or even this week, when their offense was able to do something, their defense couldn't do anything. No, and uh, I think the actual scariest team that I thought for the NFC coming in was the Giants, and the Giants have looked just absolutely terrible. Same reasons They're for the, a train wreck of a team. They can't I score. I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see them anywhere near the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised. I think there's like something like 3.9% yeah. of teams who start out 0-3. I won't be surprised the if the coach is fired. Like, I'm expect, I, I, would, I would not be surprised if Ben McAdoo makes it to the trade, doesn't make it to the trade deadline. I wouldn't be surprised either. I think it depends on how they play, mainly this week um, and next week. But I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if he's gone at the end of the season. I don't know about the trade deadline. That seems a little bit drastic. Yeah. Uh, if they win these next two games, he might still be able to salvage something. Um, but on a big picture, it looks like the Giants are falling apart. It yeah. looks like the Seahawks are falling apart. Derek Carr can't get it together. And that makes me or at ecstatic. Least... Because when we play him in Mexico City, if he has a game like that, yeah, we're the... coming away with a W. And that's a game that I thought we might lose some end of the season. But, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that these are all suddenly bad teams, except for some of them are. But I'm just saying that, you know, while the Patriots haven't looked like this super dominant team that we thought that they would be. No one else has either. And now there there are two teams off the top of my head that have been very consistent, though, week one to week three so far. And that's been the Chiefs. The Chiefs have looked consistent. I mean, obviously, week one. Week two, they played a close game against the Eagles, who I think could be a playoff team. And they played a good and they played a good and they beat up on the Chargers last week. So the Eagles, I mean Eagles, the Chiefs have looked good each week. The Chiefs have not put up a bad game yet, unlike all these other teams. And then, surprising to me, honestly, the Falcons. The Falcons have looked good. The Falcons have looked confident. Now, mind you, there was a controversial ending to the Lions game, but still. The Falcons have looked good so far, and I thought that they were going to fall off. 
Now they've lost Vic Beasley for a decent amount of time, but still, the Falcons have looked a lot better than I really thought the Super Bowl hangover was going to kill them, but the Falcons have been another team that they're still right in it. Their offense has not fallen off. They were slow to start week one against the Bears, but otherwise they've been a very good team. Let me let me ask you this, Jake. What did you think of the uh, the last play of the Patriots game this week? Did you think that was a catch? Oh, absolutely. Touchdown? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that was a touchdown. That was a catch. Because yeah. I've, I've played it six or seven times looking oh. at it because I was told it wasn't a catch uh, by some people. Oh, no, that was an it easy catch. It doesn't look like he maintained – it doesn't look to me like he maintained control of the ground and we got a lucky I ball. mean, I don't really want to get too into that, but that was a catch. I mean, it looked good. But that gets to another thing I wanted to get to, which I completely forgot, which I before I went as wise thing about the NFL. But one thing that we both wanted to see in this game, we did see. We both talked last week about, you know, Brandon Cooks hasn't really impressed us yet. Well, Joe, let me ask you. Has Brandon Cooks impressed you now? Uh, that was the most impressive game I've seen from Brandon Cooks in his entire career, um, having watched having watched him pick up the offense like that. There was a touchdown to Chris Hogan off the middle, uh, across the middle of the field that I thought was pretty impressive uh, from an offensive standpoint that he got open. But other than that, this game was all Cooks as far as I'm concerned. And I know Gronkowski had a good game, 8 for 9 for 89 yards. Which was also good to see. Which was great to see, but I expect that from Rob Gronkowski against the team. I like will say one Texas. minor, one minor little thing though. One minor little note, and this was not me. This was somebody else. I heard point this out to me, but one minor thing from Gronk that was nice to see was most of the times when he got up after getting hit, he didn't even seem to hesitate. Oh, not at all, and that was fantastic. You, you saw, know, you know, you saw it in New Orleans Gronkowski game. Push- the first couple of times he got back up, he would kind of run to the sideline, get checked out. He didn't really see any of that this week. And, you know, I, I was hoping when that happened that it, had, it didn't have to do with the back surgery, that maybe it was just no, but a little maybe, ankle twinge. Or just a confidence but, thing. But a healthy Gronkowski, uh, a con- like, you, know, a Gronk you know exactly what this means. A, Gronk, a 2011 version of Rob Gronkowski wins us the Super Bowl, as far as I'm concerned, even with this defense, if we can pick it up. You know, a healthy Gron- Rob Gronkowski, I think, affects the game more than any other player in the NFL. It's good to see that he's confident. Rogers. You know, it's good to see that it's not so that's starting to maybe kind of get out of his head that every time he goes down, he could get hurt. You know, because yeah, I think that, maybe he's playing with the confidence that he had in 2011 or even before he got hurt in 2013. A fearless Rob Gronkowski is impossible. Is very stop. important. That's that's a big difference. So yeah, and listen, but back to Cooks. I don't want to share everybody. He looked good. He, they were using him the way he's meant to be used because I'm starting to come around to the idea that maybe he's not a guy who can play in the slot or do a lot of these other positions we maybe thought for him that he might just be an outside guy. But he looked good in that role. He looked really good. So I have a question for you because we discussed this last week and I, I made a note of it while I was watching the game. I tried to keep track of it. We had a little bit of discussion about yards after the catch in New Orleans and how that was, that was very small. What did you think of it in this game? I mean, fine. I think catch? overall the offense was productive. Overall, a th- you know, they did, they weren't really including the running backs in the passing game again. They kind of fell back into that. You didn't really see a lot of that, which I just really want to see them use all these running backs in the passing game a little bit more. Because really they didn't. The only running back who caught a reception was James White. Because I think that and James White only had 17 yards the whole yeah, game. Yeah, that's where you're going to get that yak from a lot is just from passing it to Deion Lewis or Burkhead or James White. Obviously, obviously Burkhead didn't play, but you know I would have liked to see more of that. But overall, I mean the offense scored 36 points. So I'm uh, not the offense scored 36, 36 points, and they did it. It looked rather easy against a legit defense. They marched down the field. 
every time they marched down the field, I was confident they were going to score. Yeah, and it was against a legit the defense. First few passes, yeah, because the first few passes to Rob Gronkowski, he looked confident. The first few passes to Cooks, he looked on fire. Amendola and being back. to be making sharp cuts. And yeah. Amendola played a little bit more of that inside role that I like to see him play. Amendola, Hogan's looked roots. good. Hogan's looked good this, for the full season. Going back Hogan to training camp. Oh, going back to training camp, that was the thing they were talking about, that him and Brady were really on the same page for most of training camp. So kind of seeing that kind of, you know, come to life a little bit has been pretty big. Hogan has looked I've seen, good. I've seen, I've seen a little bit of a transition, or at least this is what I was comparing the transition to, is that Chris Hogan is, is playing the Danny Amendola role from last season. and It seems like Amendola is shifting a little bit into the Edelman role. I, I don't want to say that. I, I think that Hogan's playing the range. same role he played from last year, but it's just more of it. I think because no, because Amendola well, didn't do much in the regular season last year. No, so, not at all. But Amendola has always consistently been, at least in the playoffs, Brady's go-to guy on third down when cornerbacks and and uh, defensive ends try to take away Julian Edelman. Because we've talked about this, you can take away the number one receiver from from a team. It's those two and three guys who can really burn you if your defense isn't strong enough. And I feel like Chris Hogan is about to be that guy. Yeah, no, good, good, good showing from the offense against the legit. I mean, obviously it was a freak pick six or fumble six to Jadavion Clowney, but I mean, it, it was obviously a freak thing. That's no indictment on the offense. Leadrian Waddle looked pretty bad, but they were able to overcome it. He wasn't a complete train wreck I thought he would be, but you know, the sooner Marcus Cannon can get back, the better, because that was something at you know, over the summer that we talked about, it could be a real problem for them if they were to lose one of these two tackles. But I mean, what I mean, what did you think? What did you think of the play of Lee Adrian Waddle? Uh, I thought Waddle played okay. I was expecting Brady to get hit a lot in this game because I think that Houston is a legit defense with a legit front seven. Um, he didn't get hit as much as I as much as I anticipated because the play the play of his uh, of his offensive line was better than I anticipated. But he did still ha- they did still have some breakaway tackles on Brady where they swarmed him three, four guys. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically of that, that fluke interception or fumble, I don't know what it was ruled as, the clowny. He got hit by three guys at the same time when that ball came loose. And that was mainly due to the, ta- the tackle's inability to block. I mean, they blew past our offensive line and hit Brady really hard. Yeah. And that was a little bit scary. Seeing him get up immediately was fantastic. Um, it's it sort of a little bit of confidence, but he's 40 years old, and if he kicks it like kicks it like that all season, that's I don't know bad. If we'll see him. We'll see him healthy all season because at 40, your ability to recover is not the same as it is at 25. No matter how much water you drink, 30. No matter how exactly. many, no matter how much stretching, no matter how many times you go see Guerrero, yeah, no matter follow the TV 12 program, 40 is not 30, is not 25. No, so and that worries me that our offensive line couldn't hold back at least. At least one or two of these guys at a time. Yeah, no, they—they. Like they, it was one of one you, guy you know breaking through all the time. I mean, that's uh, that's as good a pass rush as you're going to see in the league oh, right now. That's, that's one of the best pass rushes yeah, in that's, the league, and that's the reason that we we pegged them to be a problem for us this season. We thought maybe they'd be a problem if we had to face them. Well, they the were. I mean, what? Game I mean, or no, I mean, what did we talk about though? I said, you know, the Texans—if they can get a legit quarterback, they can be a threat. And looking down the road now, Watson looked good. If Watson gets a full season under his belt, he'll be a different player by the playoffs if he keeps progressing for the whole year. Then suddenly, no, this... I agree, especially if he produces it the way that he produced this week. Ex- if he continues to progress at that rate, then we might be in trouble come he'll... playoff time. They could be a legit team come playoffs. 
they could be a threat. So that's something to work. That's another thing to think about. That's another angle to this game. Like, okay, like they beat them, but you know, if, if Watson stays healthy, he's going to be better by the playoffs. No way he's not even a little better. So, you know, they got to, that's a sneaky little thing to think about too. But moving on from and the And he looked a lot better. Anyway. Anyway, Let's get back to the Patriots. Yeah, moving on from the Patriots a little bit. Just what did you think of this week in the NFL? Because to me, this was easily into most people, not just me. This isn't my super original take, but this was a good week for the NFL. I think this was a good. Uh, so I actually, I actually only watched three or four games this week, um, and I had a lot of games on at the same time, so I didn't catch any of the games really in depth. What I did notice though was a lot of uh, a lot of competition. Exactly. There weren't a lot of blowout wins that we've seen in the past. A lot of parity. Pointed out, like you've seen, a lot of these teams who we thought were going to be contenders showed up and they showed weaknesses because other teams are stepping up and improving. And I thought that that was a fantastic thing for the NFL. And I I looked at the ratings because of the discussion we had two weeks ago. The ratings are up in week three from last year's week three. And I'm hoping that that's parity and that's not, you know, to do with the president's comments and the, the national anthem protest. I'm hoping that's to do with the parity across the league and the fact that it looks like a lot of these teams in markets that don't really usually compete are going to be comp- competitive teams. Even Jacksonville, who, uh, not Jackson, yes, Jacksonville, who played in London this week. They smacked the Ravens. the Ravens defense. Yeah, listen, they we saw a, we saw and and that's listen, a legit defense too. And this might go back to my point I was making earlier about how there hasn't really been any dominant team that's emerged, but yeah, it seems like there's more parity in the league than maybe there's been in the last few years. I mean, just going down it. Thursday night, Rams and 49ers. Would you have told me that that was going to be what at that point was probably the best game of the year? Unless you hate the Patriots and really like seeing them get smacked, would you have told me I that? I never, I never, w- I never would have said that because there's two for two reasons. The, One is I think the Thursday night product is always a, is always a lesser product because the coaches have less time to prepare, yeah, the players I, aren't as healthy, and two because it's the Rams and the 49ers. yeah, those are two bad te- division game, but they're not they're not two good teams. They're two terrible teams. Yeah, and then that was into the season. You know, and that, they put up a competitive game, and they both played well. Yeah, that was a that was an excellent game. Then you know, Ravens Jaguars. That was stupid, but I hate the Ravens, so yay. Then oh. Broncos Bills. Like I said, Bills have looked like one of the best teams through the first two weeks, and then that was a very close game for most of it. You know, they they managed to slow down Trevor Simeon and C.J. Anderson, two big weapons for that yeah. team that have emerged in the first three that weeks. That looked like a, that was a great. I would have told you that. I th- I wanted to bet on that. I was I couldn't get in touch with my bookie, but I wanted to put so much money on that game because the line in that game was Broncos by three, and I'm like, oh, what? I put like a hundred dollars on the Broncos. They're gonna kill the Bills. And the Bills. God, you didn't do that. And the Bills have looked not legit, but the Bills have looked better than I would have told you they would have looked. I thought the no, Bills. I- I thought the I Bills thought were trying the Bills to tank. Were be trash. I thought the Bills were going to be trash and that they were going to be sitting at the bottom of our division all season with, with you know, somewhere in the four to six wins range. They look like, like a legit team. They're not by any I means mean, competition to the Patriots to win the division, but they look like they could be a legit team in, you know, two or three years down the road if they continue to progress. Yeah, listen, they looked, they've looked better. I mean, maybe that just goes to parity. Maybe it's the re- the whole league sucking, but I don't know if everybody sucks on the same level. Then Steelers-Bears, that would have been should have been a blowout, but that went to overtime. I mean, you know, Browns-Colts got close at the point. The Jets were able to squeeze out a win somehow, which was bizarre, and F the Dolphins. Patriots-Texans, that was a thrilling game. Oh, that was a, it was a great game. It was a roller coaster of a game. That's, I mean, really, as much as we're complaining. It's the first time I've enjoyed watching the Patriots 
in, in the last couple of weeks because the last couple of weeks have been a little bit stressful. You know, I've been thinking about what we've been talking about and how exposed we looked against a good Kansas City team. That was the first time, well, the fourth quarter was the first time that I really enjoyed watching Patriots football this season. Yeah, listen, like that was, I mean, uh, you know, as a Patriots fan, that game was aggravating because of the way the team played and they should be killing a team like that. But yeah, if you're just a neutral observer, that was a very good game. Then Lions-Falcons, not counting the final call, but still, that was a game that came down to the wire. That was an ex- Giants-Eagles, that was a thrilling game. I know we were just hard. This week across the NFL was a, was a really good yeah, good thing for the NFL. We a were lot harp- of the games were competitive. There weren't a lot of blowouts. And even the, you know, the officiating across the NFL was good this week with the exception of that Lions call, yeah, that- uh, which was controversial. I, didn't, I can't think of any other controversial calls that really have fans up in arms, especially on social media. No. It seems to me like the officiating was solid, the play was solid and balanced, and that hopefully this leads to uh, more parity across the league because I enjoy watching games that are close yeah. Over games that are blowouts. If I'm not, uh, you know, if I'm a neutral observer, yeah. Watching watching uh, Chicago play against play this week, that was impressive. You know, they're a team that usually I wouldn't expect to really win any games. Uh, you know, they're somewhere in the bottom of the league. I'd say the bottom half, and they were yeah. competitive against a good team. Yeah. No, listen, there was some there was some good games. Even Bengals Packers. You know, and that's good for the league, though. This happens. The Packers play, you know, the Bears, who were supposed to be a bad team, beat the Steelers. And the Packers, who were supposed to be a top five team, have a close game against the Bengals. You know, now suddenly, you know, the Thursday night game between the Bears and Packers suddenly seems a little bit more interesting. You know, you, not only does it seem more interesting, but I think we're going to see a lot more people tuning in across the nation to well, watch that, football. That's the point. Has become better because more markets are getting involved. Well, I that's my point. You know, now you look at this Thursday night game, and now like, oh, well, this is going to suck. It's not like, hey, you know what? The Bears were able to put something together last week, and the Packers looked vulnerable. So maybe I'll tune in. It might be a good game. I mean, obviously, we're going to tune in either way. But you know what I'm saying? If you pay attention to these things, be more of a casual fan. Like these games look better. This looks like it might be a better game. And that's just a small thing, but that's good for the league. That is good for the league. But anyway, it is good for the league. It's also good for us. It gives us more to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll transition away from the NFL now. You said you want to talk about some Red Sox stuff, but I don't know if you were listening to the first segment of the show, but I was just talking about Chris Sale, his performance yesterday, and how the Red Sox are kind of sneakily in kind of a tough spot right now. They obviously the Red so Sox. I, I didn't hear I didn't hear your Chris Sale take, but I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually wanted to mention something else, and I I don't want to harp on John Farrell for the entire segment. Well, hang, well, let, me, let me let me let me let me kind of just reset the table here, Joe, for just a quick Go second. Go for it. The Red Sox have they're three games up. The three games up on the Yankees, and both teams have five games left. So you'd think that you know the Red Sox are kind of you know shoot in, they're pretty set to take the division. But then I was talking about this that they could be you know if the but the. Red Sox have one game against the Blue Jays and four games against the Astros, who are the second-best team in the league. And the Astros are a team who has something to play for. They're only one game behind the Indians. So they can still be playing for stuff down the stretch. And then the Yankees, who are going against lesser competition than the Red Sox will be the last five games, are surging right now. The both t- Yankees and Red Sox have both won seven of their last three, but the Yankees have been hot lately. So, you know... Is it possible that the Red Sox wind up in a situation where maybe, you know, the next three games or so, you know, they go one and three, the Yankees win their next four games, and suddenly you're in a position where you get to that last game against the Astros, which should be a throwaway game, but suddenly John Farrell has to decide, like, do we 
try to win this game against the Astros to seal the division? Or do we throw this one away, save Chris Sale or Drew Pomerantz for a play-in game against the Yankees to take the division? Do you think it's possible that the Red Sox wind up in a situation like that? I think it is, and I think I think John Farrell is already thinking that way in a way that he's made decisions this past weekend, and that's actually something that I wanted to talk about, um, was mainly his usage of Mookie Betts this week. Oh, that was I don't know if you if you caught if you caught the story that was written um, was written by um, Boston Herald about Mookie Betts' wrist this week. I don't know if you caught that. No, Mookie well, Betts. Uh, Mookie Betts was uh, clearly hurt. He, he didn't play on Tuesday. He's not in the lineup tonight. It looks like he's not going to play. I was just reading the lineup just came out. John Farrell put him in the game in right field for two innings after Mookie Betts was injured. And then when Mookie Betts came up to hit, he pinch hit for him. So he clearly knew that he was hurt. You could see him shaking his wrist in right field. He wasn't very productive in right. If he rolled over his wrist, it could have been the end to his season and the end of the Patriots season, uh, Red Sox season, frankly, because if you don't have Mookie Betts in the heart of that lineup, our lineup is a lot less scary. Even at the top of the lineup, he's a force. And John Farrell just kept running him out there. And John Farrell also, you know, he runs his pitches into the ground. And I hate to harp on John Farrell so much, but I was really worried about the Red Sox setting the table against the Astros because the Astros are playing for the number one seed. Yeah, but you know, whether we re- think it or not, the number one seed makes a big difference. And the Red Sox and the Yankees who are behind the Red Sox are playing to take the division from the Red Sox. So the Red Sox are in kind of a weird position is the point I'm trying to make. They're in this position where the team they're playing is playing for something and the team right behind them is playing for something and they kind of need to make the decision, are they going to be trying to play for something or are they going to kind of take these last couple of games off to get healthy and you trust John Farrell to navigate that? So I don't trust John Farrell. I really uh, don't like John Farrell. That's a, that's a very, I've made that very clear. I think John Farrell needs to go. I think he will go if we don't get past the divisional round in this, in this playoff. Well, here's something but, interesting. Uh, to kind of not to interrupt you, but John Farrell bought a condo in Charlestown just this week. There we go. He John bought. He knows he's he knows he's gone if we don't no, win this. Week. He bought a new he's condo in Boston. He bought a new condo in Boston. Oh, in Charleston. Oh, Charleston. Well, let's hope let's let's hope that that doesn't indicate that he has. Uh, you know, knowledge that we don't. I really don't like John Farrell. No, and a lot of our of our pitchers. And our and our offense, I think he uses our pitchers a lot with a lot more disregard than you'd expect from a pitching coach. Um, well, you get. I, I have liked our bullpen. I have liked our bullpen. I think we have a strong chance in the playoffs if we can get there at the top of our division. If we have to play a play-in game against the Yankees, I'm I'm really worried because the Yankees are on a surge. And if you you know, and, and in we that were game, nine and one last week. And if you get to that you know, playoff game, you know, you'd think you want to start Chris Sale, but Chris Sale struggled against the Yankees. Uh, you know, the way that I look at that is I would manage it the Terry Francona way, the way that he's been managing it with the Indians. Mm-hmm. Get through five and then throw out arms like Andrew Miller and other guys in that bullpen that he has. I think we have those weapons now, now that Carson Smith is back. And surprisingly, David Price. David Price has played very well in his role, yeah. you know, in that seventh, eighth inning role. I think he could stretch to six outs, uh, maybe even nine outs in a bind. But if we if we play the Yankees, I'm I'm worried mainly on the offensive side. But even then, you know, know you get Hanley Ramirez is that. Even then, you know, really, you get that playoff, you get that play-in game. You still have to waste, you know, a full pitchers worth of, a full game's worth of pitchers. So that puts you at a disadvantage oh, exactly. going into the playoffs. 
I don't know if we'll if we'll win this series against the Astros. I think we're going to probably split it two and two. Um, I trust I trust our offense to get us at least two wins this week um, because I don't think correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure we're not facing the top of the rotation at the beginning of the series. I'm not. I, so, I don't know. Number that. one. Yeah, I don't really know. They're number one on yesterday. That. I'm not. But I trust our offense, with the exception of Hanley Ramirez, who's bat in the middle of the lineup has been terrible, and he's hitting 242 on the season, and he's starting to scare me because without his bat in the playoffs, the Red Sox aren't going anywhere. Yeah, um, we talked about that. We talked about that a lot over the summer. That Han- and I've talked about it a lot too on my own. That Hanley Ramirez giving them that power in the middle of the lineup would be a huge thing for this team. Now, mind you, they found that power in other places. Other bats have heated up. Mookie Betts, Rafael Devers, Eduardo Nunez. But, you know, two of those guys I just listed are down right now. No, the- exactly. Two of them are hurt, and one of them, one of them is a rookie. You know, we can't, we can't count on a rookie in the playoffs to be the same guy he's been during the season simply because he's a rookie. He's never had that environment. I know that Xander Bogarts came in in the playoffs in 2013 and absolutely lit it up. But you can't expect that from the average rookie coming into the league, and I'm, I'm a little bit worried about it. Honestly, our offense doesn't seem to be the caliber that it should be to win a playoff, win a playoff race or a playoff series even because we don't have David Ortiz. And it keeps coming back to that. We did not replace David Ortiz, and I'm worried. Yeah. No, there's, there's, you know, there's a little bit of little good, decent, a lot more question marks than we would have liked this team to have coming into the last five games of the season. Anyway, though, Job, it's been great having you on. We have been uh, doing our Job here on the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley. Thank you, as we are every week. This is you've been, We've been joined by Job Gudrid of Real Sports 101.com. It's been great having you, Job. Thank you, Jake, and I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. All right, bye-bye. All right, anyway, you are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIN. We are going to take a quick break, and then we're going to close things out with David Cusack. We'll be talking a lot about what's been going on at all levels of basketball over the last week, and we'll be right back after these messages. You will never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is 90.7 WXIN. Stadium experience, Jake Elmsley, David Cusack, right here on 90.7 WXIN. We're done doing your job. Still can't work that one in naturally, but I'll work that out over the week. But anyway, though, Dave's here, and we're going to be talking a lot of the really weird, been a weird week if you're a basketball fan overall. Now, the big topical non-NBA news is that, uh, if you haven't heard yet, yesterday it was released that an FBI probe has already ended up in the arrest of four assistant coaches from NCAA D1 basketball teams, assistant coaches from teams like Louisville, Auburn, Oklahoma, Arizona State, and not only coaches have been arrested, but the global marketing head of Adidas have all been arrested for corruption for basically paying athletes to commit to specifically 
Adidas-sponsored schools. And all those schools I just listed, Auburn, Oklahoma, Louisville, Arizona, those are all Adidas schools. So, can you believe this, Dave? Colleges have been paying kids. Yes, yes, I can believe this. I, I don't. The sanctity of college sports has been breached by these individuals, Dave. Oh, but amateurism. The sanctity of... They have ruined it for everybody else. Yeah, now now it's just not even fun to watch anymore. You They've know? ruined it. Like... They ruined it for those fair-playing Nike schools, those fair-playing Under Armour schools. And but... the, the point that you're unintentionally trying to make was a point that I was going to make. Yeah, everybody is doing this. Maybe not here, but not every, Rick. every D1 program is doing this. Like, it's... It's really hard. Yeah, I, you want to say, well, okay, getting players prostitutes is bad. We'll put that yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get we'll, that's that's in a bad. second. Hang on. Say, put that's, that one on the back burner. That's bad. But it's kind of hard to say, like, oh, you know, these kids getting paid to go to a school. There's so many factors that influence yeah. the school that you pick. Yeah, some of these kids got paid. I mean, not really a reflection on the kids. It's, it no, is. No, and, you know, I, I but think. But that's, that's what it always it. And territory that I'm careful to not to get into because I feel like every time a story breaks like this where, um, you know, with the NCAA and somebody taking money, the person who takes the money always goes down as well. And I know we're not really at that stage yeah. yet. Well, um, I mean, yeah, we'll get into something specific about that in a minute. But, yeah, I mean, and this is making me mad. I don't get mad. I mean, coming from somebody, and I think you agree with me on this, I assume you do, coming from somebody like me who thinks that college athletes had a D1 program, deserve to get paid if they're making yeah. if their team is making their school money absolutely they deserve to get paid. we both agree with that but <laughs> this is so funny it's even funnier because former boston celtics head coach and i guess now former university of louisville is it university of louisville is i think it, it is louisville the teddy bridgewater school rick patino wrong sport rick patino has been fired they also fired the athletic director because he didn't want to fire Rick Pitino, so they took the reins from him. But because he didn't want to do his job, but Rick Pitino has been fired. Which, when this broke, that Rick Pitino was involved with it because obviously it's all assistant coaches who they because like the FBI is like wiretaps on these guys. They have phone records, and obviously it would only be the assistant coaches that they get because obviously no head coach is actually going out. And getting their hands dirty, yeah, and doing this themselves because, you know, yeah, why that would, would be, they risk that, their whole life? That would be stupid. So you make your assistant coaches do it, but so obviously no head coach. But the big thing that came from this, and the most obvious, well, first when this first broke, I was like, if, if Rick Pitino, if Mister Buy You a Hooker for your hook shot, Rick Pitino <laughs> makes it through this one now, the guy knows something. Like, the guy obviously has, you know, nude photos of the athletic director yeah. for Louisville. And maybe he does, because that guy still didn't want to fire him. So maybe he still has something on the he athletic has director. something on somebody. He had something on the athletic director. He just didn't have that on the dean or somebody higher up than the athletic director. But, yeah, Cirque Patino has, has not not made it out of this. Yeah. And, 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 and also, also Adrian Wojnarowski made the, Woj made the 
went out of his way earlier today to tweet that no NBA team has interest in Rick Pitino as coach. He pursued the interest over the offseason, but no teams were interested. Really? So, you know, Rick Pitino isn't making an NBA comeback anytime soon. That's that's very interesting that Woj just has that out on standby. That little that little nugget there. Just in case. He's like, hey, in case you guys were thinking, like, some teams looking at Rick Pitino. How do I make this about the NBA? <laughs> but, yeah, and the reason that, once again, Rick Pitino, as far as I can tell, is the only head coach domino to fall from this so far. And this goes deeper. And they obviously have more on these four schools. And this is probably going to all be coming out for weeks and weeks. And you know what? This will probably be pretty fun. But this will be coming out for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then we'll forget about it. And everybody will go back to think that college sports is this grand, altruistic thing. But the big thing from this is that it's very, and it's not, and this isn't written down specifically, but people who are smarter than me were able to narrow this down that the, that, Louisville paid Brian Bowen, who was a five-star recruit, a McDonald's All-American. They gave him or his family a hundred grand, <laughs> and not the school. Remember, the Adidas global head of marketing got arrested. It was Adidas who gave him the money. And once again, it's not on the records. But they don't have a pay stub or a check receipt to his specific account, but. People who are smarter than me, once again, read the info. It said that to a specific McDonald's All-American who committed to an Adidas school. And I guess that, or something like that, and I guess that Brian Bowen is the only All-American five-star recruit who committed to an Adidas school. So, you do the math. So That's an interesting factoid in and of itself. Yes, but that is. So maybe that's why they need to pay these kids, but... Yeah, well, they're obviously they not They need recruiting. to give them 100 grand, unlike the Nike and Under Armour schools who obviously only get their recruits the old-fashioned, good old, helping the kids get an education way. Oh, yeah, no, of course. That's all they care about. But that goes to the point that you were making a minute ago, Dave, that the players usually come out as looking at the bad guys in these, always get portrayed as it. He's done. He's like, he's done. He's not going to another school. Yeah. I mean, Brian, but I mean, I, I'm pretty sure in every other case like this, when a guy takes bribes and they find it out, I mean, the kid can't go to school. He's I'm pretty sure he's going to be banned from the NCAA. So then, you know, what's a kid like that to do? Just Play in the NBA. Got to figure out a way to get to the NBA. Because obviously he's talented. I, I, I don't know any, but anything about this kid. I, I don't. I don't keep up with high school basketball. Jackson Reaper, who's one of my summer co-hosts, he usually keeps up on these things more than I do. So maybe he would be a guy to have right now. But keep your name in the headlines. You can still make the NBA. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, do, but do you think a team would take a chance on a guy like that if he's this talented? And what's yes. Guy? Don't. Yes, they would because they've been there've been plenty of players that have gone through bribery scandals and have had careers in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, guys that got paid to paid to play. Chris Webber got paid to play. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. the entire Fab Four, Fab Five. Yeah, that entire thing that was all paid to play. That entire thing was corrupt as hell. So yeah, I think a team would I think a team would take a chance on him, and I don't like to. I don't like to get in the territory where it, it it is the player's fault because I don't know anything about Brian Bowen or his background, um, but I can tell you that a lot of players really have never seen that kind of money, and a lot of players you know get offered stuff like that. What are you gonna say no? Like I, you know that you're supposed to, but you know I'm sure you're hearing well everybody's doing it, and I'm sure they're telling you everyone's doing it, nobody's getting caught. It's fine, which is probably and what are you true. Say and. Yeah, and what are you just going to say no in that situation? Like, would any of us say no in that situation? No. It's really hard. So no. I don't I don't like when this always falls back on, 
uh, painting the players as the bad guys. I think it's super unethical um, to try, you know, from a competitive standpoint, to try and buy the best players for your team, even if everyone else is doing it. That's that's still pretty unethical. I think players should get paid, but as a player, I really I just, I feel bad because I don't know if I was in that situation if I would say no to that kind of money. I have to agree with you. I mean, I don't. He's not the bad guy. Brian Bowen is not the bad guy in this situation. And it sucks, and it's right that he's probably deemed ineligible, but... And these schools are going to get sanctioned hard. Yeah. Oh, these schools. You think? I mean, what do you think? Do you think you're going to see, especially Louisville now, this being their second scale? I mean, do you think a school like Louisville is going to get, you know, the death penalty now? I think I think it really depends, because I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't like to see that. Um, I, I think the NCAA wouldn't like to see that, but I think that it's going to be a situation where they're going to have to flex their muscles with something of this magnitude, and I'm thinking that Louisville getting you the know, death penalty is going to the, be that perfect way to... You know, the government went... Supposedly, from everything I've read, the FBI just did this themselves. This was not like the NCAA didn't like you know rent to the FBI, which I don't think you can even do, but... Yeah, I think if you have enough money, you can. You know, this was a... The FBI just did this. The FBI just went out and said, you know, we got to investigate corruption. And which I mean, I mean, good. I guess good that they're just doing their job out there. They're just going out there and investigating stuff they think is bad. But God, like soon they're going to move on the football. Soon we're going to find out that Nick Saban is buying kids like ladyboy hookers. Like, yeah, this is going to be fun. I feel like I just have a good feeling that this is going to turn into a really fun story it's gonna ruin a lot of lives oh, this is just the tip of the iceberg but I, it's believe good. you me and it's fun that we get that it gets to start out with rick patino and it's not a guy you feel that bad about his life being ruined but this is gonna be fun i feel like we're gonna learn some wacky stuff that goes on. we are gonna learn some wacky stuff we're gonna learn about what type of things rick patino's into we're gonna learn about what things yeah yeah and obviously we're gonna learn that adidas is a company that hates competition and obviously cheats and once again that the altruistic nike brand is just gonna do it just do it the right way as they always do but they're, they're just gonna do it the right way as they always do but anyway we'll move on to what i thought was gonna be i mean coming into this week what i thought was gonna be the main basketball news but I guess not. I guess that the that the FBI was like, "Hey, dude, I feel like you don't have enough content for your show this week. Let's here, let's talk about paying players." Yeah, why can't they do this over the bit. summer? That would have been great. Would have filled a lot of a lot of time. Yeah, but yeah, big news from the last couple of days is that the banana boat is is moving in some directions. And I mean, we'll talk about the one that happened first. First, obviously, Monday was it? Monday. I think so. Yeah, Monday. Mello obviously got traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Aeneas Cantor and Dougie McBuckets. And oh, and a second round pick from the Bulls. But it's a good second round pick because the Bulls are tanking. So it's it's a good second round pick. Okay. And as much as I've maligned Mello, as much as I'll say that, is this is, you know, if you like Mello and you like the fit and you think you can fit, this is a this is a, this is an awesome trade for the Thunder. Like, all in all, this was a, I mean, just for the value they were able to get, which obviously you're going to get when you're dealing with a guy with a no-trade clause who wants to be out, you're going to be able to get that, but still is a certain amount of skill to identifying a situation like that, being able to go in and getting a talented player and getting the 64th best player in the NBA. <laughs> for you know, I know Melo has been in the league the same amount of time as LeBron, but I just, I, I just feel like he feels like he's like 10 years older. 
Yeah. Mellow. Well, I mean, that's because LeBron's a freak and is actually aging slower. And we talked about this on your show the other day, how I actually have... And when you asked me the question when LeBron will slow down, and I actually said that I feel like I can't give you an answer that I feel confident in just yeah. because LeBron is a freak of nature, and I can't tell you when a freak of nature is going to start to age. A lot of people with this are saying, oh, Melo come off the bench in OKC, but... Who's gonna Who's gonna start over? No, I was looking at their projected lineup, and I could not name one of the bench players. Melo's just gonna play the four. No, he's gonna play the four. That's what's gonna, gonna start over him. No, Andre Roberson. No, and that's what we'll talk about. But yeah, this is a good trade. And going back, this is also they were able to make swing a very good trade for Paul George, who's in a similar situation. But you know, kudos to the management at OKC for looking at this and being able to bring in two really good players for. Nothing. I mean, what do they... In the end, yeah. this offseason, the Thunder have traded Sabonis, Oladipo, who I still contend was a salary dump, was actually a negative asset in a lot of ways, Cantor, Dougie Mc, and Dougie McBuckets for Paul George and Mello. Yeah. Which... Pretty good trade, even if it's only for a year. That is. That's a fantastic deal. Maybe they play well together. Maybe they make a playoff run. Who knows? You gotta try. It's a stockpiling superstars. No, this, these were good moves for you the Thunder. Can't, you can't just give up when you have Russell Westbrook. You have to put something around him. Now, listen, it's not, and they're not mortgaging the future or anything. They're giving up pretty throwaway guys, honestly. Yeah. Or decent guys. But I mean, like, you know, Doug McDermott's probably a start on the Knicks now, for better or for worse. But, yeah, they were able to give up throwaway guys. And honestly, you know, obviously it's funny immediately with Melo. Like, oh, it's Melo. It's, it's Melo. A joke at this point, but I think it's good. I think there's a chance it's a good fit with the Thunder. I think that I don't, I, I think Mello will be more willing to pass than your knee jerk reaction, your knee jerk assumption would be. He's shown that he's willing to pass when he's played with the Olympic team, which I don't want to get into too much because it's Mello and I hate to be like, oh, we played in the Olympics well, but like all Mello defenders like to do. Yeah. But he's, he's shown that when he's surrounded. But maybe that's because it doesn't have to do with his NBA stats. Maybe that will play a part. But, you know, he's shown that when he's surrounded by other superstars, he's okay with deferring. And, yeah, he'll be a fine fit at the four for them. He's not going to play defense. I'm not saying I'm assuming he's going to play defense. He's not really going to play any other defense. But still, he's also he's with Russell Westbrook, who averaged, what, 11 assists last year? So he's willing to pass when he has nobodies. So he's obviously going to be willing to pass when he has superstars. And then Paul George. I don't know, has Paul George ever struck you as a ball hog? No, not really. Oh, he's always struck here as a pretty unselfish guy, kind of LeBron-esque in that regard, at least. I think Melo, uh, for him, look, he's out of New York. He's out of a bad situation. And if he can sort of wrap his head around the fact that he's not the guy in OKC, I think this team's going to be pretty good. And Which I think, that I think might, he was that fine with because be he was willing. Because yeah. the other teams he was willing to go to, uh, yeah. Houston, he wasn't going to be the guy there. He was willing to go to Cleveland. He put that on his list at the last minute. You know, the teams he was willing to go to, he wouldn't have been the guy there. So obviously, this isn't hasn't been an issue to him of going and being a guy somewhere. I also don't want to out and say this is an issue of getting a ring for him either. But see, he's, yeah, he's, uh, Mello Mello has a no trade clause, or he had one with the Knicks. All these players talk. If it was gonna be a chemistry issue, he wouldn't have gone there. Exactly. If he doesn't so feel like, if it was gonna be an issue of, of playing time or, or scoring or or shot attempts, it's uh, he wouldn't have wouldn't have no. gone there. I think he's good. He knows what he's go, getting into since he came out and said, because this was one thing that was a late addition to his list. When the other, maybe it wasn't his first choice. Obviously, this wasn't his first choice of a team because he came out after, you know, they couldn't get a deal done. When, hey, okay, I'll go to OKC. 
Sam once again wasn't his first choice, so maybe yeah. it's not perfect for him. But still, he's obviously still willing to go there. And I think it could sneakily work out because you look at their starting lineup now. If you ask me, it's Westbrook, Andre Roberts at the two, you know, Paul George, Mello, and then Steven Adams. And that's that's a pretty balanced starting lineup when you get down. Yeah. You know, you have two guys in there who are more defensive guys. Andre Roberts obviously is a defensive specialist, but that will definitely balance out, you know, three scoring orientated guys. And Paul George is a good defender. Russell Westbrook is a decent defender. And, can't, and Steven Adams is another defensive guy. So it kind yeah. of, you know, <laughs> even if Melo isn't motivated and doesn't play any better defense he's been playing, you know, he's with guys who are quality defenders. Good to great defenders. You know, he's with, I mean, is there out of those other four guys, is there one of them you wouldn't at least say is a good defender? No, I think they're all. Exactly. And there's a defensive specialist in there. So they, and once again, their bench is poo-poo, but they're still way better of a team than they were at the beginning of the offseason. So then, Dave, it comes to the question of, and I've been struggling with this, I mean, I guess, knee-jerk, you know, where do you rank OKC right now in the NBA hierarchy? Because, I, you know, I hate doing power rankings. I think they're so hard to do outside Uh, of, like, the top ten. But, you know, where do you you put them? I put them as the second-best team in the West. Do you really? I can tell you that I do. Okay, I do. You think so? You think they can be? You think they're better than Houston? I I think this. Yeah, I think better I think the, just on the shoulders of Russell Westbrook with these two other guys. Yes, better than the Spurs. You think? Oh, I think they're better than the Spurs. Okay, and then okay, then you get to the East. Do you think that they're better than the Celtics or the Cavs? I don't think they're better than the Celtics or the Cavs, no. So you're saying like a four? I think, well, I think the Celtics are going to have a better, I think the Celtics are going to have a better season. Yeah, I think the Celtics going to have chemistry issues at first. I think that's, a, but I mean, again, okay, he's going to be in the same boat, I think. Yeah. I mean, they haven't replaced their entire roster, but they've replaced the core of their roster, but so you're saying like a four or five spot for this team? Yeah, approximately. That feels right, and I hate to put a team of new pieces like that, but yeah, I kind of agree with you. But it's good. it's good. It's talented new pieces. It's not. Yeah, you know? no. It's it's like you know they haven't they've got new pieces who have played in the league for a while. And they didn't. And they gave up. You know what added up to less. You know, so yeah, this is different. This is this is this is exciting. This is good. This is good for the NBA. I think I don't think the better than the Warriors. Not to beat the Warriors by any chance, no. but still, good. You know, we're kind of seeing all the superstars consolidate to the same few teams again. Which you know, on one hand isn't great because it makes because it makes certain teams really bad but you know at least you know there's more really good teams i guess yeah and at least i think it's the warriors effect because everybody's trying to put together their own super team and it's like at the very least even if there are less good teams there are more great teams and then that's going to make for better matchups in the playoffs i mean that's also always the way that it's been in the nba people like the basketball yeah people like to harp on the old days like there was always this great parody and like it's always been a few great teams but yeah, this is a good team. This is a great team. They put together a good team. I think that they. I think they're gonna need to figure out what they're gonna do about the bench, with the guys they have coming off there now. But that was a problem for them anyway. Like that was a problem for them. They had a great bench. Yeah, last that wasn't year. gonna. That wasn't gonna be fixed. Yeah, they didn't have a great bench last year anyway. So I'm not. So, but now they suddenly have a starting lineup with three all stars in it. Yeah, you know, two top ten players in the league and Melo. Yeah, <laughs> that's accurate. But yeah, it's, I mean that's good. If Melo's you know, willing to accept his role, which I think he is, which once again, he's shown that when he's surrounded by other superstars, he's not against deferring. And then this also for New York now, this puts Porzingis in kind of a position as well. So, I mean, this, do you and think... You know, Porzingis likes New York. You know, he said, he said he likes it before, but 
this this does this puts him in a predicament. Well, do you I, think if he doesn't have you know if he doesn't show the real big progression year, do you think that the Knicks have to start asking questions after this season? If he doesn't have you know the big like you know the Giannis year three kind of year. Yeah, I I think I think it'd be fair to ask some questions if he doesn't have have a year like that. But he has to he has to now. This is his team. You know, and, and he has to carry this team, and, he and it's going to be a bad team. I mean, I'm it not going to be a bad. I'm team. not going to sit here and tell you that. But you, you can, you can still, you know, be the guy on a bad team, yeah. and you can still, you know, show that you're a valuable show that you're a franchise player. player. Yeah, yeah, this is this chance to go from potential to, you know, showing it. So that's yeah, that's another little I'm thing. Pretty, to pretty high on Porzingis. I'm I'm thinking we should watch him this year. I'm I'm. Oh, I am too. I love do. Porzingis. I would have loved it. I was very much into the Celtics trading for him for the right price, but. So that's the one thing. And then the other thing is that Dwayne Wade, after getting bought, bought out, has. Dwayne Wade has gone to the Cavs. He's taken his talents to north, middle, plains. I don't know a lot about Cleveland. But <laughs> Dwayne Wade has signed with the Cavs. And this this really hard move to feel about because... I don't really feel much of anything about it. Because, you see, I mean, like, I put it above... I don't want to overreact, but I also don't want to underreact. Because if you overreact, I'm a stupid NBA fan who overreacts and is stuck with names. But if I underreact, I'm a stupid Celtics fan who doesn't want to admit that the Cavs did anything ever. So I mean, like, I mean, this move. Do you put well, it? Did it did make them better? Yeah, it make them. I, I mean, do you can... put this move above like Deron Williams and Derrick Rose, guys like that? I mean, is is this like an in between between Kevin Love and like Derrick Rose? Like in terms of magnitude, I kind of I put it between those two. Like, what kind of impact do you think Dwayne Wade will have this year? I think when uh, I, I think we were talking about earlier about how uh, Isaiah is going to be out until January, you said. Yeah, um, that's a report. I I think that the, having Dwayne Wade is going to really help them through the early part of the season. And I think that it is going to prove to be uh, maybe maybe not, you know, the move that puts them over the top. But I mean, he's he's a valuable player to have. He's played with LeBron before, so there's going to be no chemistry issues. Um, he's a veteran leader, which is going to be good. Well, I mean, they've had enough of those. Well, I mean, they brought him still. Enough, you can't you enough can. old guys. You're right. You're right, though. You're right. Still need him. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's above above Derrick Rose. Yeah, between Derrick Rose and Kevin Love, that I think that's that, the right barometer to put on it. You know, like I don't want to undersell and be like, oh, they added another aging veteran. Like this isn't Kyle Korver, but you know, this also is Dwayne Wade can still play. Yeah. And mind you, you know, he man, he averaged, you know, he had career lows last year in scoring, but still that was 18 points a game. You know, and mind you, he didn't really have any good games in the playoffs when you really think about it, but still, he's a good player. And now do you, and now when I start to think about it and I think about how this could kind of affect their rotation, though, do you think that once IT's back, assuming he's healthy, do you think that Dwayne Wade starts with them? Or do you think that's J.R. Smith? Or what do you see them doing at the two? Oh, I think Dwayne Wade starts. Yeah, I, I think I think absolutely. I think LeBron's like, hey, Jr. We're boys, but I'm also more boys with him. I think Jr. is not going to be happy, but I think he's think Dwayne Wade. I think start. it's Dwayne Wade too, and you then have that, to. And then that kind of opens up some kind of interesting ideas with their rotation, though, because then you can. And this is just one starting lineup that I read that I actually found kind of interesting. Maybe they can go with it, D Wade, LeBron, Jay Crowder at the four, and then maybe try playing Kevin Love at the five. For some games, then off the bench, you can bring D. Rose, J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, who maybe can play more in games where you need more of that inside presence. And then, you know, that's that's not a bad, you know, one through eight. 
Yeah. You know, that's not a terrible one through eight right there. And then you still, you know, you still have some good players coming off the bench. And then you still have, you know, Kyle Corver and. Eh. <laughs> Kyle Corver and, and others. R- R- Richard Jefferson. Like the ghost of. Like, I don't know. All right. Well, maybe this, maybe this is an old team. Maybe, maybe this it's is a pretty a old team. team. But you get the point. Like, you know, if some of these guys can perform to a decent level, you know, they. Because I still hold out that in the short term, if Isaiah can play this year, the Cavs got better. Through the trades with the Celtics, at least very temporarily, and they still, you know, they could still flip the Nets pick for something if they get desperate. That's still always on the table for them. I don't know how they make that work with the luxury tax, but they still have that option. That's still, you know, they get to, you know, we get to the halfway point in the season, and Demarcus Cousins in New Orleans just isn't working out. They decide, oh, screw this, you know, we'll take the Nets pick and we'll take Tristan Thompson off your hands, and we'll give you Demarcus Cousins or something. You know, something like that's always in the cards, but you know, I. I mean, I still think that the Cavs are the best team in the East. I still have to put the Cavs right now above the Celtics. I don't know how you feel about that, but... Yeah, no, I, I still do, too. I, I still absolutely... They have LeBron James. They have the if IT the If IT can play good, if IT is healthy, if IT is not healthy, and he's just sputtering through the whole year and keeps going on and off and then it's gone, then yeah, then the Celtics are better than the Cavs without IT. But if IT can play, and I still think IT can play, can put up similar numbers to what he put up last year just because of all the shots that are being left... By Kyrie. Even if IT is sputtering throughout the whole year, I really do think this Dwayne Wade thing closes that gap a little bit. It's so hard because it's just, it's such a hard thing to talk about because I don't want to oversell it, but like, it's still a pretty decently sized deal. But anyway, so Dwayne Wade is there. The Cavs, I still think I'm my number one. But anyway, though, it's that time of day every week where I say goodbye to all of you. You've been listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXIAN. And thank you to Dave. Thank you to Joe for joining us over the phone lines. We'll be back here next week, 4 to 6 p.m. If you missed any part of the episode and you want to go back and listen to it, or, you know, you've just been enjoying the episode and you want to listen to some of it again, don't be afraid to look up the official Stadium Experience upload on SoundCloud. Or if you want to take it with you, download it on the official Stadium Experience iTunes. Go on either of those two services, type in Stadium Experience, type in Jake Elmsley. Either two, it'll come up. You can download it. You can listen to it. Do whatever you want. It'll be put up right after the show. Anyway, though, like I said, thank you to Dave. Thank you to Job. I'm Jake Elmsley. This has been the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley, and we'll be back next week. Thank you, and good night.